What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wednesday Night Wars here as part of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on Patreon. I am your host, David Hockney, and joining me today is the return of the very first panelist as part of the Wednesday Night Wars. Please welcome back the stooge that is Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you? I was happy to be back until you called me a stooge again. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> that's so 2018 of you. Um, so 2018, and, you know, we're moving into a new year now, so we're just going to keep it going into 2020. I know, I mean, new yeah. decade, new pastor, please. Yeah, okay, put that on your wish list. <laughs> so, um, if you're listening to the show for the first time, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet, and be sure to catch our weekly show on all good podcasting sites, including iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good podcasting sites on Anchor and Android as well. Uh, be sure to see our website, suplexretweet.com, for all the information on upcoming shows, articles, and interviews. And if you want to catch more great content like this on our Patreon page, visit patreon.com forward slash suplex retweet. We can get regular weekly bonus content from just $4 a month, including our own Raw Report, SmackDown show, talk, Taking Smack. And we've also got shows dedicated to NXT UK and the Scottish Indie Promotions. So make sure you're signed up for that uh, if you need a new resolution for the coming year. So... This week was the penultimate shows of both AEW and NXT as we continue to build towards the ever-fateful December 18th where there'll be... Both shows are going to have very loaded cards and again, this continued to build. So as per, we're going to start off with AEW Dynamite and we'll kick things off with John Moxley again. Now, he had a... He had a very sort of quick squash match with Alex Reynolds, but... I think this sort of segment was overshadowed by his promo with Chris Jericho because these two have been having, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a tiff within from a distance at least. Uh, so Scott, what have you what's been your impressions lately of this teasing feud between Jericho and Moxley? I like it. I like the idea of them not really rushing into it yet because yeah, Jericho laying the groundwork for it last week with mentioning Moxley. Every so often when he was reading out the list of names of people he didn't want to wrestle. The lexicon of Le Champion. That's the one. And like you had the fact that he's ranked number one on the current rankings in the singles division, but didn't say that's a guarantee of when exactly he'd get a title shot. Mm -hmm. I like what Jericho's clearly doing here and the fact that it's a case of, well, I know this guy's the next contender. I want him on my side rather than having to face him. So Jericho's basically trying to curry favour with what with John Moxley. Yeah, I was a bit curious about this promo as well because it, it just seems like stuff we haven't already seen before. It's like the heel tries to convince the face-ish character to join the heel stable. But I, I just feel it was lacking a bit of believ- believability. Do you think that's a fair comment? Uh, I don't think it's too harsh of a thing to say because uh, it's very unlikely that Moxley will take him up on that. I can see him getting involved next week in Jericho's match with Jungle Boy. So mm-hmm. I think it's the fact that we all know that Moxley is unlikely to join any sort of stable right now that I think it's hard to buy into. Mm. And do you think all those references uh, to their history in WWE, you know, he mentioned the, the getting put into the thumbtacks and other things like that, do you think this sort of added to it a bit? I think so, because there will be people who will tune into it maybe for the first time who will tune into it because of these two, because I think they'll recognise them from their time in WWE and mm-hmm. they'll know if they've been in WWE that they'll went against each other before so I think it's good to acknowledge that yeah I know the Chris Jericho calls the fans like stupid idiots and stuff but this promo kind of did the exact opposite you know it, it doesn't treat them as idiots it's just reminding them that you know they have history together in another company and they're sort of teasing a fresh feud going forward but one thing I will sort of leave you thinking about is they're sort of holding out for an answer until the new year do you think this is kind of smart play I know, given that, you know, most decisions like these are usually sort of done on the night or maybe the week after. 
I think it's good to hold out for it because they've only got one more show in 2019. They announced that they're doing a special from on mid-January, the Bash of the Beach special with matches from the Cruise. So they can either do the match between Moxley and Jericho there mm-hmm. or they announced a pay-per-view at the end of February. So they've got the time to properly start building it. Yeah, I think keeping the cards close to the chest is probably the best thing considering, you know, both sh- both companies are starting to wind down a bit and, you know, at least to give something fresh and to look forward to for the new year. So we'll wait and see what transpires there. Uh, so the next match we have is Cody and QT Marshall versus Butcher and Blade. Now, Butcher and Blade sort of arrived on the AEW scene a couple of weeks ago taking out Cody and uh, MJF chose QT Marshall to be his partner. Uh, do you think Butcher and Blade getting the win this early, especially against an established name like Cody, is beneficial for them? Yeah, I think so, because I'll be honest, when I first seen them debut, I seen the clip of them attacking Cody, I thought, these two look absolutely stupid. <laughs> like, I didn't see it, and then watching them wrestle, they're actually a pretty good team, so I think if you give them some time, they will be a strong team. I think it's a good thing to have them get this big win, and QT Marshall is the one that took the pin, because even though he kind of impressed some people because people started chanting Cody's mm-hmm. partner. But then he actually showed something. They changed it to QT. Yeah. So, so he wasn't just like a fall guy. But I think it's just they're using QT and Butcher and Blade. Basically, they're, everybody in this is kind of a, a pawn, I think, in the continuation of the MJF Cody Yeah, because it's all... All everybody's talking about the minute is uh, when is Cody going to fight MJF? And we did get the answer later on but just to sort of go back to the tag team match you know you were talking about like QT Marshall and stuff he seemed to uh, actually get a good showing in against Butcher and Blade you know despite being you know kind of just a bit of a I mean dare I say it, a bit of a bit of a cop-out pick for Cody well I think it's a case of like he didn't care who his partner was as long as he got them in a tag match so it's like okay we choose your point we want somebody that will help us beat you we need somebody it can give us an mm-hmm. advantage because if he picked one of the top guys and I thought, well, we might lose this match. So it was a smart thing for the heels to give the face a weak, or in their eyes, a weak tag partner. But it was also the kind of thing, like, people are surprised at how good QT bars was. But like, they did that thing on Dark a few weeks ago, showing, showing that he was a wrestler ages ago, but he's been out for it. Just so it was a case of showing he can still Yeah, and he did that really good spot where I think it was like a, a cartwheel and then a plancha to the outside. Even though it did look a bit mm-hmm. sloppy. I mean, you got to give them props for, you know, just trying it out. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, this, uh, this odd, I mean, it's a bit of an odd pairing Cody and QT Marshall. It kind of reminds me of the time that, you remember like 10 years ago on SmackDown, uh, Batista went up against La Familia and Vicky Guerrero chose three partners for him. And he end, she ended up picking like Nunzio, Funaki and Colin Delaney. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I don't remember that's that, what. That yeah, that's kind of what this reminds me of a bit. Yeah, like I said, like you get to choose your opponent's tag partner. Do you want to choose somebody who you think in your head like they won't will pose a threat? That'll give us the easy mm-hmm. win. So, like I said, it's a very smart heel tag. Yeah, and you think uh, you know we've been talking about you know teams like maybe the Dark Order haven't made as much an impact in AEW as we'd like them to have done. Do you think Butcher and Blade are two guys who could potentially fill that void? I don't know, because like, you've got them, you've got Butcher Blade, you've got the Inner Circle as the top heel group, and you've got whatever Brandy's doing, and I think even Chuck Taylor tweeted one and said, God, we've got a lot of spooky people on our roster, <laughs> yeah. don't we? Uh, but, so Butcher and Blade get uh, an emphatic win, but then I think the talking point was Darby Allen coming out and extending essentially his hand to Cody. And, you know, they obviously mm-hmm. had that history together. They went to the 20-minute time limit at, I believe it was Fighter Fest. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. do you think we could see these two having an alliance going forward? Maybe. I'd be interested to see them against Butcher and Blade or even MGF and Wardlow, but like, I was hoping for more from Darion because when I actually think about it, when I saw him come out, I was like, we haven't actually seen you on Dynamite in really a while because he got the big 20-minute draw against Cody, he had the match all out, then he had that title match against He also Jericho, faced, he faced Moxley a few weeks ago as well. Yeah. Like every now and then, it seems he gets a big like showcase, but other in between that, he's just relegated to dark. Mm. So, I'm hoping for bigger things for 
Darby Allen going into the new year, and if that means like teaming with Cody, because they clearly can tell that like Cody's like, he's now got respect for Darby ever since mm-hmm. that draw. But yeah, I think you know Darby Allen's come out swinging with his uh, appearances in AEW, but I think this is just him taking a bit of a, a breather now. And I hope and I hope you're right. I think he definitely needs a an opportunity to shine in the new year and. I go back to the same argument I've said for the last sort of couple of weeks. AEW needs a mid-card title, and Darby Allen would be one of the top contenders for it. Yeah, definitely. So, continuing on with the Cody-MJF feud, uh, we had MJF responding to Cody's challenge. He ends up accepting it, but he won't state his own stipulations until the new year. So again, they're sort of referring back to what Jericho and Moxley did, was like keeping the cards close to the chest, keeping a lot of speculation for the new year. Uh, do you think this... Uh, this consistency is really going to benefit AEW in the long run. Yeah, definitely, because they're giving you a reason to tune in to the next episode, because they give everything away on the one episode, then what's to follow? And I've seen some people, and I agree with this, maybe Cody and MGF probably shouldn't like actually go on a one-on-one match for some time, because mm. I think these, like, these are really built it, because it's rare that you have a proper near year-long feud anymore. So for this, I think what his stipulation's going to be, he's going to try and make it some sort of like handicap or gauntlet match. He's going to get Wardlow and Butcher and Blade involved. I mean, if he does... MJF. So MJF being the heel that he is, I think he's going to avoid a, a straight-up singles match with Cody for as long mm. as he can. I mean, if he doesn't utilise like Wardlow and Butcher and Blade, I, I think that's a wasted opportunity. And MJF continues to demonstrate why he is arguably the best heel character right now on both the AEW and NXT because he, he made like a ring attendant kiss the the diamond ring as well and he just continues to wind up the crowd with the fact that he's not going to reveal his his terms and conditions in Texas as well I mean cheap heat uh, from the, the Texas crowd as well yeah I mean you say it's cheap heat but more often not the crowd respond to it so if it gets a response then mm, definitely the he definitely just has that insufferable heel act, you know, he treats people like dirt and, you know, it's almost like a, a king facade, you know, getting people to kiss his diamond ring and stuff. It's it definitely a, a very sort of warlord kind of complex. Yeah, very much so. He's definitely like, if they introduce this mid-card title sometime soon, I think he is a trained time to be the first champion if they want to heal you go with it or... If a face pretty soon takes the title off Jericho, he's definitely the the guy to be the next major heel champion. I think that's he's, he can go mm-hmm. very far. So, from one guy who's over as a heel to a guy who's pretty damn over as a just a character in general, we have Luchasaurus going against the Spanish sex god that is Sammy Guevara. <laughs> now, I'm a bit sort of up and down with how I feel about the inner circle at this stage because. Whilst they are, by default, the dominant faction in AEW at the minute, they seem to be lacking a lot of big wins, particularly not just, you know, with Santana and Ortiz not getting big wins, but also Sammy Guevara seems to be lacking that big win as well, and now he's just fallen to to Luchasaurus. But I want to get your impression on Luchasaurus. Like, he seems to be one of the most over guys on the roster, despite not having a, a prominent position. Do you think that's a? Do you think that's fair to say? Oh yeah, definitely. Like people within the company are acknowledging how over Luchasaurus mm-hmm. is, because like it's a inherently silly gimmick, but the guy makes it work because his commitment. He talks about. He said last week about how his kind of been discriminated against for sixty-five exactly, yeah. years. He, he, he got the kickboxing like background with the kicks. And I remember when this match was like advertised, I thought it seems like a very random match, but I never forgot like Luchasaurus is teaming with Jungle Boy and Jungle Boy is going against Jericho, so it's basically Jurassic Express versus the inner circle to lead to next week. Mm. And what I did love is Hager and Jericho taking over the commentary. Yeah, that was really good. And every now and then every now and then Jericho would just cut over to Hager and like, What do you think, big guy? Exactly. Because <laughs> Hager just... Has Hager even said a word at all or since he joined? No, not on like Dynamite, right. no. Um, but yeah, just to go to Sammy Guevara for a moment. And uh, like I said at the start, 
he's being hyped as one of the top guys in AEW, but he just seems to be repeatedly taking losses, whether it's to Dustin in the in the Bucks or to Luchasaurus. I, I think it's really threatening his credibility and his ability to get over with audiences. Is that uh like what what do you think of Sammy G? I, I like Sam. I think he's kind of like he's a young guy. The group. He's a guy that will eventually go very far. I think for now they need somebody in the group who can take the losses and you've got the champ, you've got Hager who hasn't really had an official match but I don't think he should be losing yet and you've got Santana Ortiz so I think by default the unfortunately the person who has to take the losses falls on Guevara but I think his interaction, the way Jericho puts him over like in his promos, like he gave him the name of the Spanish god mm-hmm. like I think he still has that credibility because like he's basically like what Randy Orton and that was in Evolution, he's the guy been brought in because he's seen as like the future mm-hmm. star. But do you think legitimacy by association can only go so far? Uh, it can go, only go so far, but like, oh, but he's lost it so far. Like he said, he lost here, so he's currently 0-4, I think, in singles matches, but he's got more like tag wins, like when he teamed with mm-hmm. Jericho. But as uh, Jericho said in his podcast, we had Sammy on. He referred to them as their title as Lissex, I think was the name of the thing. It just reminds me, well, but, just going back to the argument of legitimacy by association, you remember in like 2013, 2014, when Roman Reigns was a part of the Shield, but mm-hmm. it was clear that he was the breakout star of the three. The fact he his performances, not just in tag team action, but in singles competition, and in particular, the 2013 Survivor Series elimination match, where he eliminated four guys on his own. See, that's the kind of breakout moment, I think. Uh, well, not necessarily will fit Sammy G's character, but it's that kind of, like, warrior spirit that will get him over with the crowd, despite being a face or a heel. And like, I, I think he's just lacking that big moment. But again, it's still early doors. Mm-hmm. And plus, like, he's got this whole thing about being, like, this arrogant, smarmy vlogger that people want to see get beat up so I think at the moment he's serving that role of the guy people want to see get beat up so there is still time for him to have that standout moment and as I said he's not really done a lot in singles action but you say with every new year the like win-loss record like reset so you can start a whole fresh just going into yeah the I suppose year. Dynamite's only been on for a couple of months as well so maybe this this fresh start is maybe when when he'll start to pick things up a bit Okay, uh, but just before we go into the, the main event, I want to talk uh, the two other matches that were sort of featured in the undercard, but uh, we have the debuting Big Swole versus Emi Sakura. Now, it was announced, uh, I think it was the week prior or earlier this week, that Big Swole had signed with AEW, and we've always had Sarah on last week talking about the state of the women's division in AEW, and to be honest, it doesn't really... I don't think it's really hitting the mark for me personally. I don't know. What, what's your opinion on the sort of women's division so far? Yeah, the women's division is the biggest bone of contention for me and I think for a lot of other people with AEW at the moment, like, because Big Soul, I've seen her pop up on, on Dark a few bit times, but this is her first Diamond appearance. I was happy to see her beat Emi Sakura because really she's just not hitting it for me. Like, her match with Rio at full year, was just so boring, it was so underwhelming and not what you want from the first pay-per-view defence of your women's title. And they said Hikaru Shida is in the front row, just sitting there because, oh, she's the number one ranked woman in the division. Mm-hmm. And then two other women. And then two other women are getting a number one contenders match next week. Like, why are you having your number one ranked woman just sit there while two other people get an opportunity? Like, have her confront Riho. Like, you have Brandy in a promo out in, like, where the hell is yeah. Rio? Like, well, why are you moaning about the fact your women's champion isn't being booked? You're the ones booking her not to be yeah, on TV. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the, there just doesn't seem to be any real structure. You know, like you said, you've got the number one ranked woman sitting at ringside and you've got Britt mm-hmm. Breaker and Chris Statlander going for the number one contendership next week. It's just, it's all over the place. And where is Rio? Like, we haven't seen her for weeks. I, I mean, it's especially frustrating for me. I picked Rio as one of my draft oh, picks. Be, like, well, then get your arm You'll be fuming at that. I know, champion's advantage and everything. Get your arse on telly, defend that title. Oh, fucking Honestly, like, Rio is just, like... She's, she's got MIA and it's really damaging her a bit. 
thing I think of sending it a search party and everything. <laughs> All right. Well, before you do that, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, the other match, which was a tag team match: Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against Sean Spears and his new tag team partner Kip Sabian. Now, the obviously Tully Blanchard is acting as uh, Sean Spears' manager, and the fact that Tully Blanchard had eyes on Kip Sabian as being Spears' partner. Do you think this could be a potential new tag team going forward? Maybe I think I'd like to see the idea of like maybe for a few weeks, like uh, Spears comes out with a few different tag partners as they try to find the guy that's that's right for him. Because you had Blanchard talking about how he and Arn were tag partners for years, so like he knows what it takes to be a good tag wrestler. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like I think they're holding off on finding the right partner for. Uh, for Spears because it looks like this feud with this feud with Joey Janelle is continuing but I think the main story is what happened with Hangman and yeah. Kenny during the match because I think Hangman you know he showed a bit of a bit of a smarky attitude almost where he tagged himself in to get the win then Kenny clearly wasn't happy with it so do you think we could see a potential feud between these two? Maybe I mean they've got another tag match randomly next week so it's one of those things that he for this unofficial tag team even though like offhand on some contact Oh yeah, Hangman said he's no longer part of the elite, which is one of those things like you need to tune in to be in the elite to know about, and not if you just tune in to each week. So I think Page has got a bit of a chip on his shoulder the fact he didn't win, so maybe he's trying to separate himself from the elite. Maybe he thinks the elite are holding him back, mm-hmm. and if he has a thing with Kenny and then moves on to feuding with the Bucks, like maybe have him turn against the elite, that could really help Hangman long run because so far. I don't think people are really buying into yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like there's no structure when it comes to TV tapings because it says, oh, you've got to watch the the clips on YouTube or you have to keep up to date with what's going on behind the scenes on social media. And I feel like this is really, we've discussed this before on past shows. It's like, it's really, I think it's really damaging to AEW. It's like they don't film like backstage promos or show any character development on TV. And I think that's a big, big uh, error that needs to be rectified. Yeah, I mean, they did that sort of that here because you had those two guys getting jobbed out by Moxley at the start and then they were in that Dark Order vignette where they're basically almost trying to be recruited by the mm-hmm. Dark Order, which I must say, actually, the Dark Order vignette was one of my highlights of the show because it's showing what they should be doing with the Dark Order. Maybe if they held off and debuting them and did more of these vignettes that people would really buy into them because I like the idea of them actually recruiting people and them being this almost cult-like group. Yeah. Uh, so, I think there's a there's a lot of solid feuds. There just doesn't seem to be any sort of foundation or build towards it. I mean, do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Like, you need to have actual backstage bits or pre-tapes to tell why people are fighting or why they're friends or don't just debut people expecting us to know uh-huh. who they are. Yeah. Uh, but so hopefully that's something that they can correct. Uh, come with these uh, these new these new shows in the new year. Uh, but as we move on to the main event now, it's a feud that's been building for, for quite a few weeks now. But I actually didn't realise it was a Texas street fight until I was uh, about to sit down and watch it. It's uh, the Young Bucks going against Santana or Ortiz. Texas street fight is just like standard no disqualification street fight rules, as you'd imagine. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think this was a, a nice conclusion to the building feud between these two teams? I don't think it will be the conclusion. I think it's just another like chapter in it because I remember being surprised to see Santana Ortiz not earn the title shot against SCU. Then the more I think about it, like I definitely think Bird and Purple will be the guys to take the belts from SCU. So I'm fine for them to hold off on it for a while, given that SCU technically haven't been chanced for that long. So have like a great match for the last show of the year, and then you tell like Santana Ortiz will maybe get involved, and that will either set up another match with the Bucks or maybe. A triple threat between these three teams for the title, which I know they've already had a triple threat for the titles, but I think these two new teams against SCU, they can really make something mm-hmm. special. Yeah, and I was just thinking as well, this is uh, this is a difficulty they've had with main event matches. They always seem to be limited by time restrictions, and because there were a lot of good spots in this match, you know, things like you know, super kicking the chair in Ortiz's face. And then bulldogging onto the chairs and stuff. It just seems to be there. Just seems to be a lack of breathing room when it comes to these spots. 
maybe, but I think, like you said, they've got like a limited time. I think maybe the part of the reason they say, oh, this is TV time remaining is to create that like intrigue of maybe maybe the time limit will run out before there's a conclusive finish. I think they did that. It was um, mocked That's right, back. Yeah. Right a minute before it went off air, they stopped. It's like, we've not got more any more time left on TV for this match to continue, so it's just going to be a draw. Yeah, that's, that would have been pretty rubbish, especially when... Uh, I was just looking at some of the, the spots they had. They had the the trash can spot as well, where I think it was like mm -hmm. jagged edges uh, after getting yeah. slammed into it. And then there was the candlesticks. But I think my favourite spot of this whole match is when Matt comes into the ring wearing a Dallas Cowboys helmet. Yeah, I've seen that. I, I, I like that one. Do you think adding that little bit of humour to that kind of match kind of dilutes it a bit? No, I think you need a wee bit of like levity because like you've got this hardcore match and then you've got the spot that the crowd popped for, but well, mainly because it was their local team. But like something that will entertain the crowd, you need a bit of levity in these kind of matches. Yeah. But you know, when it comes to like street fights and stuff, you know, especially with two, with teams like the Young Bucks getting involved, you've got to expect some innovation. Do you think they delivered with the creativity this time around? Yeah, because they always seem to do that in these types of matches, whether it was here in Ring of Honor and PWG, because what was good in this match is you had Excalibur on contesting, like, I've called like their big guerrilla warfare matches in PWG, like, I know what the Bucks mm. can do when there's weapons involved, like, you know the fact that the Bucks can get very creative when they're allowed to use, like, weapons. Yeah, and um, just last point as well before we move into NXT, it's another loss for Santana and Ortiz, who are meant to be part of the, the big heel faction. And you know, are they in, in the same position as Sammy G in the fact that, you know, even though they're part of the big stable, them taking a, a loss such as this, do you think this is just going to damage them? No, I don't think so, because they've got big wins on TV. They had the win over Bucks and pay-per-view. I think, like I said, this is just a continuation of their story. Well, the difference between this and the Sammy Guevara thing is they've got a story that they can get involved in with the Bucks and they've been feeling well. Members of like Shed Dustin coming out whereas Sammy hasn't had his like, big feud mm. yet. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, we'll get to our Dynamite Award as well at the end of the show as well, so let's put all those uh, thoughts into, into perspective as we move on now to this week's NXT. And you know what? I may be self-biased a bit towards NXT, but it does continue to put on instant classic matches like... The opening match from this week, it was the NXT Cruiserweight Championship match. Leo Rush defending against Angel Garza. Is this a, a match you've been, mm -hmm. look, been looking forward to the last few weeks? Uh, I was kind of surprised. I didn't realize this was like on this week. Like I did hear about it like on the Thursday morning, so I thought, oh, that's something to look forward to when I watch NXT. I think for me personally, I might have preferred their first match. There were some like, really good spots because... They didn't like do the impressive moves to start with. They had Rush properly trying to hit Garza because like the idea of this is changed from just a regular match for the tail. This is a bit more. This is turned personal. Mm. But I think that sort of personal feel to it definitely added a bit more fuel to this feud. You know that's why I think Leo Rush came out looking a bit a lot more aggressive in the first sort of few <laughs> minutes. But it just goes to show as well. Like Angel Garza is is over and. The mm -hmm. guys, the guys, yeah. capable of putting on five-star quality matches, uh, and mm -hmm. he ends up getting the win. You know, despite you know not pinning him with the wing clipper, he actually turns it into a submission hold, and that gets him the win. I like that. I like that. It was kind of like when done for a while towards the end as UK Tauterine, when the bitter end went wouldn't get it done, he would immediately transition to that submission. What's kind of like a triangle, which he'd also break the yep. fingers because he had to like something extra put people away sometimes so I like that mm. what I've noticed with like the crowd were clearly more into Garza this time whereas last time they were more evenly mm -hmm. split so it seems like almost inadvertently they're doing some sort of double turn with Garza and Rush I could see Rush fully turning heel in the next few weeks kind of mm -hmm. anger with the crowd like, going against him because they talked about Rush going away for ages and then finally come back when the title and then it's been taken away from the I think Rush suits being a heel more and Garza, the comparisons to Eddie Guerrero continue because it looks like he's almost turning face, especially with what he did like after the match. Yeah. So. I think the thing about Angel Garza is the fact that the crowd reaction I think is what's 
and his his very sort of charismatic entrance is what's turning the crowd on his side. And the fact that he doesn't come, well, he does come across a bit of a, a snidey heel, but it's a bit of a, a cool heel, as it were, again, much like mm -hmm. what Eddie Guerrero was like. So the comparison is, is definitely there. But I've been seeing a few comments online about this match, and a lot of people, well, I've, one of the lines I've seen is that the near falls in this match were as tense as a WWE championship, and matches at this level are extremely rare on TV. So, and do you think Angel Garza earned this moment at the top uh, with his with his big win now that he's kind of having to take on the mantle as the head guy for not just the NXT Cruiserweight division, but also 205 Live? Yeah, definitely, because I talk about that natural cruise. I think people can tell with somebody when they're being like authentic and when they're being themselves. I think that's when they get behind them and that's what's happened with Garza. You can tell like this is like him. This is his natural charisma. He's not trying to put mm. this on. And with guys like Garza, with guys like Cameron Grace, we'll see later on, and guys like Swerve, all these guys who are in the breakout tournament, like I know there was all that controversy with Jordan Miles, but you look at all these guys who have done so well since the breakout tournament, and you think like, I know they couldn't have predicted what happened, but like, you got to think, why didn't a guy like Garza win the tournament? Because he's clearly a future mm -hmm. star. Yeah, I mean, they try and end up making one breakout guy who's basically now out the door. And they've, and they've transformed it into three breakout stars as a result. I mean, that's mm -hmm. how good NXT is at what they do. But just yeah. one more thing about Angel Garza. He also, during the break on the USA Network, popped, his question, popped the question to his girlfriend. And she said yes. Yeah. So it's a really nice, a really nice uh, moment for him all around. The fact he becomes Cruiserweight Champion and, they, and now he just got engaged. I, I did see some comments from people on Twitter going, do you think she would have said yes if he lost? No, no. I, don't, I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't imagine that possibly happening. But you know what? I think Angel Garza is going to do great as a as a cruiserweight champion. And, and I'm really struggling to see who'd be the one to take it off him without becoming a heel yeah. character themselves. I definitely think he's a guy who's going to have a long way with that belt. And I think he's the kind of guy the cruiserweight division needs mm. right now. So... Let's move on now to the a women's division that's actually getting a lot of uh, lot of attention at the minute. So we've got Mia Yim getting some potential retribution against Dakota Kai. So this has been building ever since War Games, when obviously it was Dakota that attacked Mia Yim. But uh, I was a bit intrigued actually because it seemed to be like Mia Yim is, was the one who had the most control in this match, you know, despite being the face character going against the heel because normally with these types of matches it's usually the heel that dominates I think I think it's quite ironic that a few weeks back before War Games we were talking about the idea of what if Dakota Kai turns heel and we were talking about she just doesn't you can't really buy her as a heel and then just seeing how wrong I think we've been in the last few weeks because our heel turn like made sense mm -hmm. and she comes out with that knee brace as a symbol like, from Tegan Knox and you can't, I can't wait for her to come back, obviously, for some sort of knee brace on a pole oh, match. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't mention pole matches here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you bring up an excellent point. You know, we did we did say before, could we take Dakota Kai seriously as a heel? I mean, I wasn't too convinced at first, but mm -hmm. the way they executed her heel turn at War Games, I would argue that's probably the best heel turn all year. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that with the execution. Like, I remember a group of us all watching at War Games, like, it was a collective, like, what? Like, that genuine reaction because you don't expect uh -huh. it. I mean, yeah, we did mention it, but maybe just not in the way it happened. I think that's what made it so good. Mm -hmm. But uh, Dakota Kai gets the gets the win from uh, a turnbuckle spot, which was uh, standard heel tactics. And But it was actually Mia Yim that gets the last laugh uh, when she back suplexed her off the, the tech area into two tables. And it did look like a bit of a nasty bump that they both took. Mm -hmm. I think they may go through both and they only went through one but I know you said about how the way it was structured usually the heel dominates but I think with Kai she's a more her being kind of smaller than most women in the division she's kind of that smarmy like heel that'll just escape with the one because the whole thing it looked like Mia was finally going give to her, give her a comeuppance and revenge for when she attacked her at war games but the idea of Kai managed to just sneak the mm -hmm. one out which makes you hate her even more and makes you want to see somebody whether that be Yim or Tegan not get our hands on her. and I think we're definitely going to get to see at least one more match between these two given that post-match yeah. spot. 
Like, it doesn't make either woman look weak either, because obviously, you know, Dakota gets the wins, and that's good for her. But it was Mia Yim that gets the last laugh, so it doesn't make her look weak either. And I would like to see a, <laughs> a second uh, match between these two. And based on that spot, I would like it maybe to be either a false count anywhere or a last woman standing match. Is there any any match you could probably top that with? No, I think one of those two would be good because like we've seen that in the past. They're not afraid to put the women in those same situations. You had Asuka and Nikki Cross there, last woman standing. You had that ladder match that we talked about a few weeks ago. That was brutal. Mm. So he don't mind like if the women, the women storyline deserves like this type of match, they'll do it because they would do that for the men. They as proved well. it time and time again that the women can do these kinds of matches as well. It's something a bit more brutal and not just standard in ring work. And you know, you mentioned the ladder mm -hmm. match and Asuka and Nikki Cross. Asuka and Nikki was probably one of the matches of the year in NXT in 2017. So having, you know, competitors like Mia Yim and Dakota Kai out there, it would be great, a great way to sort of really highlight the feud. Mm -hmm. I think if like, if Kai just manages to win this, because I think she needs to win here and probably in the rematch because she's just turned heel. If we have her like showcase or have her like beat down Miriam continuously after the match, I think that's a great spot to have like the return of Tegan Knox and then you start that. Definitely, yeah. So up next we had a, a couple of undercard matches, shall we say, just sort of showcasing uh talent that hasn't been as heavily featured in the last few weeks. So we've got Breezango, who are now doctors apparently instead of police officers, <laughs> going up against the Bollywood boys, uh Samir and Sunil Singh. Uh, how good is it to see the the Singh brothers, you know, sort of break away from, you know, being just Jinder Mahal's lackeys to finally actually getting showcased in tag team action? I mean, good for them for getting actual tag matches, but really I cannot be doing with the Singh brothers. I mean, their stuff with our truth in the 2470, it went on longer than it mm. should have. Like, I just can't be doing it. Uh, yeah, they definitely need to be staying away from the twenty four seven title now because having the both of them fighting over one belt, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But it definitely seemed like this tag match was to sort of beef up Breezango a bit, like because mm -hmm. you know they've just been ridiculed on the main roster for far too long, even though they did make uh, treasure out of the the fashion files skits and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you think this is just a way to sort of build them up in NXT's tag division a bit a bit better? Yeah, I think you you really need new contenders in the tag division because you can't keep the titles on undisputed era forever. As much as as much as as much as like I want a, them to. As much as you want to, but like there are three reigns at this point. And you think the mid days combined, they've had the titles. Eventually, like you're going to really damage the tag division for a while if you don't find somebody who can take them off them very soon. And it's got to be a face team because you can't have the Forgotten Sons doing heel v heel. But I, I do think that Beth Phoenix is at her best whenever the fashion the fashion police come out because like she always makes some sort of reference to do with whatever they're dressed as. Like this week's like you guys offered me to give me a full body examination. All I went in there for the shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean Beth Phoenix, you know, has been a bit of a mixed bag on commentary, but I think she's getting better every week as it goes on. Yeah, they were just finding like her niche, like because at first it was basically like, "Oh, Beth, you're also a woman, so you must have an opinion on this women's match." But... <laughs> yeah, it's just it's commentary like that that just needs to get in the bin because it's 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 <laughs> we're we're almost in a new decade now, and everything, every comment like that is just considered nonsense now because everything is essentially normalised a bit more now. Mm -hmm. uh, so moving on to the second women's match. Again, showcasing talent that hasn't been featured as regularly as, you know, say the the regulars between Shayna Baszler, Rhea Ripley, Dakota Kai, Mia Yim, these sorts of characters. We have Bianca Belair taking on Caden Carter. Now, Caden Carter is someone, you know, who I think who's been featured the, the least, uh, apart from maybe, say, Aaliyah and Vanessa Bourne. But I think this was probably Caden Carter's best match so far. Do you think that's fair to say? Well, I can't really judge that given I've not really seen too much of it, but I think this is like very different from the women's match we talked about a minute ago because that one had more of a story, whereas this was more a kind of showcase of the women's ball, I think more so for Bianca Belair because like she was at the war games, she had a good show at Survivor Series, just around people like 
Bianca as a top player and she probably will be in the women's team soon. Yeah, but you know, Caden Carter, if you didn't know the last few weeks, well, the last sort of few months actually, he's been treated as more enhancement talent. So I think mm -hmm. Bianca getting the win over her is probably what was needed, but you can't mm -hmm. take anything away from Caden Carter. She actually did put on a, a really good match. There were a couple of, you know, missteps, but she's definitely getting showcased as a, a talent worth watching. Yeah, and you can't really judge them for like a few missteps because it happens to everyone. If it happens on a more regular basis, that's when you need, kind of, need to take a step back and say like, this is an issue. Mm -hmm. Now we come to the main event, the highly anticipated triple threat number one contenders matches, which was legit treated like a main event because Mm -hmm. They had the, the pre-taped video packages uh, for all three of them. And then obviously Champas was done just as just as he was about to do his entrance. And then even the the introductions, they had the spotlights on them. And that's, that's really only reserved for championship matches. So do you think that really highlights how important that match really was? Yeah, it made these guys look all like... These are all three contenders for... The title these are legit main eventers mm -hmm. here so this match is being taken seriously i loved the pre-tapes like you had balor saying like i built this place keith lee's only been relevant for like three weeks whereas lee was like oh i'm building on this momentum i've got now people are finally taking notice and then champa's one made me the best because he just it was short and sweet and then he just walked right out mm -hmm. and a lot of people were saying you know keith lee being the moment maker and the human gift machine that he is now uh, a lot of people were anticipating that he was going to get the win. Because I think we mentioned last week as well, given the hype that this match has generated. Because there were multiple possibilities. We thought maybe Keith Lee would win and strike. we could strike while the iron's hot following his, his brilliant performance at Survivor Series weekend. But then there was also mm -hmm. the possibility that maybe this match would get thrown out, maybe with interference from Undisputed, and that we'd end up getting a fatal four-way. But do you think... Mm -hmm. uh, do you think this sort of main event hype really delivered and given, you know, the three different characters we had in the ring? Yeah, I think it was really delivered because, like, the finish kind of came out of nowhere. That was a good thing about it because, like, the action was so fast right until the last second. I'm kind of glad they didn't do that finish you said about it turning into a four-way because he kind of did a similar thing not too long ago with Strong getting involved in the... Lee Dajikovic match would then lead to a triple mm. threat so it'd be kind of be relying on the same thing you've done before which would kind of showcase kind of a lack of creativity uh. but I mean nobody was rooting for Keith Lee more than me given he's the captain of yep. my team I was just waiting for you to mention that yeah but I think even if he had won or if Champ had won I don't think the title is changing hands next week because as much as you want like they're wanting a big match this with uh, they won a big match with this, and the women's team actually really go up against AEW for the final week of the year. But I think I don't think even with that, with the ratings and that, they would have Adam Cole drop the title on TV. Absolutely not, yeah. because I need points uh, from a title match with him, <laughs> and he is my team captain, so I need him to come away with a big win. Yeah, because they, they are they are willing to like change titles on TV, like they've done it with the Cruiserweight title twice mm -hmm. now. I don't think they'll be doing it with the main title unless they're really thinking really, really need a big moment this week for the Raiders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Balor gets the win after hitting Keith Lee with a very well-timed coup de grace after he hits Champa with a spirit bomb. Uh, out of these three, I think I could potentially have seen all three of these guys challenge Adam Cole individually, but you just didn't know when mm -hmm. and in what order. So do you think Balor mm -hmm. going first, it actually benefits... Champa and Keith Lee a bit more. Well, before I answer that, I was going to say about the, the finish, the way they shot it as well. Like, you could see Balor on the outside, and they changed to a different angle where you just saw Lee hit the powerbomb, and then just from out of frame, Balor just dives in with the stomp, uh -huh. which was really cool. Like, W's production value is like second to none, but I was really surprised with Balor being the first one out of these three because this is a heel v heel match because he had the whole. It makes sense given that Balor returned and confronted Cole, so it's only a matter of time. But the fact that he's kind of claimed, like, I'm on my own, I'm a heel, and like they had that segment where they teased, is he a line man bit there? And then he proved, like, I'm not. So the idea of it being a heel v heel match to close the year was very surprising mm -hmm. to me. Because 
Would it be fair to say that Adam Cole versus Champa is a definite moneymaker? Yeah, that's a definite like takeover. Main and then event. you've also got the potential Adam Cole versus Keith Lee, which could be the the launching pad for a new breakout star. So having this quietly build a bit more, I think this definitely mm -hmm. makes sense for Balor to go first. You know, have an established talent go up against the champion. Yeah, I don't think it's like. I think with the way NXT structure right now, they're not in a really in a rush for guys to go up. So I think it's all about maintaining the momentum Keith has right now, maybe giving him the North American title or put him and Dijakovic in the tie team, mm. seeing to give them the tie title. I think it's just giving him a title soon while they are in his hot. So hopefully in the future, if you want to make him the champion, the crowd are still behind mm -hmm. him. Uh, now, there were a couple of points uh, I haven't mentioned, uh, but they were relatively short, you know, given all the, the action that was taking place in this week's NXT. We also had uh, another showcase of NXT versus NXT UK in promotion for the Worlds Collide uh, show at the start of next year. We had NXT UK's Travis Banks going up against Jackson Riker from the Forgotten Sons. A relatively short match, but... Uh, you think NXT UK getting the win on this one? It's sort of simple 50-50 booking, given that Matt Riddle beat Cassius Ono the week before? I think it's a case of like wanting to make both brands look credible going, because NXT is looking very strong right now, having beaten Ron Smadden, so they really need to do a lot to make NXT UK look like a valuable like contender against NXT. Mm -hmm. I just remember before they played like the video package for Banks, just seeing the NXT logo, the NXT UK logo come up and looking very confused, like we're in the middle of an NXT show, just seeing the NXT UK logo Yeah, come up. but yeah, they're definitely obviously trying to hype Worlds Collide, and I think maybe 50-50 booking is probably the best way to go, because it, it showcases they've got talented superstars on both sides uh, of the pond. Yeah. Uh, the other match, yeah. the other match that which lasted rather short, but it was more of like for storyline development purposes, and you mentioned, you mentioned this guy before. Cameron Grimes mm -hmm. finally getting that one-on-one -on -one match with Raul Mendoza and with a little mm -hmm. bit of Kushida on the side. Again, a relatively short match, but I think the this whole match segment was sort of highlighted by Kushida stealing Grimes' hat. <laughs> yeah, I think this is kind of all about like Kushida finally, like both Kushida and Grimes are trying to have a somewhat of a story in NXT rather than just coming out and having matches because Grains have been coming out having fairly short matches since the breakout tournament. Mm -hmm. And I think the whole hat moment, I think they're trying to make Kushida more of a character, give him a bit more levity rather than just being the Back to the Future guy who's also very good at mm -hmm. wrestling. Because his return match was again, it was supposed to be against Real Mendoza, but he ends up going against Grimes instead. So that's kind of how this match came about. But I can definitely see these two probably having a match somewhere in the future. And again, because Kushida's been out so long with, with injury, I think that they're just trying to slowly build him back in. And we even said, you know, could he be the one to maybe to throw an Angel Garza and become Cruiserweight champion? I think I'd be, I'd be up for seeing that because I think sooner or later he will be the Cruiserweight champion given how he's been like paid up as one of the best junior heavy wrestlers in Japan for the last like decade. Yeah. So eventually he's going to have that title. I think he's a guy that's over enough that he won't get booed for beating Garza, given how over Garza is at mm -hmm. the moment. Now, that sort of wraps up NXT a bit. Uh, just to talk about the last show of the year briefly, but we'll go into more detail next week. Uh, we've got at least two championship matches on both shows. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, my mistake. We've got one on AEW and two on NXT. So we've got... SCU defending the AEW tag titles against the Young Bucks. We've got Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley in the NXT women's title match. And we've also got Adam Cole, Baby, defending the NXT championship against Finn Balor. It's going to be a pretty loaded week uh, come next week for both these shows. Mm -hmm. I think it's a case of like, it's the last week of the show. Like the last week of the year for the, you get those rains because it's like Christmas Day this year is a Wednesday so there won't be any TV mm -hmm. that week. So like it's basically a final like victory going into the new year like which company can say we got the bigger ratings like this week to close out 2019. Yeah because they... Because AW was very strong like when this roar started. Yeah because they tied this week actually. Yeah that was... That was baffling like but... 
obviously if they had to throw in a jibe, the AEW gets the younger demographic, which I don't quite. By a little yeah, bit. but I don't really understand. Like, why do they? Why do you have to say like, oh, but this person did better in in a particular demographic? Could you not just say they both tied for ratings and everybody everybody's a winner? I know. I mean, so many people are suddenly experts in demos. Like, just just watch the yeah, wrestling. Just enjoy what you like. Don't be, you know, sort of bashing one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we say that as guys. We say that as guys. Podcast is about every show. <laughs> yeah, we're a bit uh, fully loaded at this at uh, this stage. Uh, but now it's that time of the show, Scott. You know how it works. I need you to give me your undeniable award for this week's best AEW segment or match. I've, I've been taking some time during this pod to think about that because I preferred NXT this week so I'm having a harder time thinking about my undeniable so I think I might give it to the, the tag match with QT Marshall with Cody versus Butcher and Blade because I was not expecting a lot from either QT Marshall or Butcher and Blade but I was really surprised with everybody involved yeah fair dues um, I'm going to go a little bit different largely because I like seeing this particular guy be featured on a prominent spot and get a big win over a really fast rising star. I'm going to give it to Luchasaurus versus Sammy G because it also hypes the, the Jericho Jungle Boy match for the following week. I mean, while it doesn't sound great on paper, I think it has potential to be quite an interesting story. Yeah, definitely. I would probably, that was probably my second mm-hmm. choice, so good one. And I will agree with you on the fact that I do, like, being... Uh, sort of, I'm trying to be as impartial as I can, but I, I have to admit I am leaning towards NXT more than AEW. But what's your undisputed award for best NXT segment or match? Well, I'm not trying to discount the opening match, but like I said, I prefer the first team, Garzin Rush faced off. So for me, it can't be anything else other than the main event triple threat mm-hmm. match. Uh, well, you know what? I'm going to be a bit of a, a, a cop out here and say that Cruiserweight title match was absolutely outstanding. And I think if it wasn't on TV, it had to have been on a a takeover. So my undisputed is going to go to Angel Garza winning the Cruiserweight title from Leo Rush and just the match in general, because that is probably one of the best Cruiserweight matches I've seen in a long, long time. Uh Yeah. So next week is going to be the last show of the year for both these shows as for mentioned they've got a lot of big matches on both shows so make sure you try and watch both of them and we'll look into them in greater detail as we round up for the new year so that's going to do it for this week's uh, Wednesday Night Wars if you want to listen to this show plus many others such as this visit patreon.com forward slash suplex retweet where from just $4 a month you can listen to all our great shows including Raw Report Taking Smack uh, the Scottish indie show, which Scott, please tell me this show has a title now. I have no idea. It should be indie sausage roll, but they're very being they're being very stubborn. Right. But it should be uh, the first one you should go because it's only ten minutes a week. Saturday draft live, myself and David yeah, Campbell. Yeah. Get that cheap plug in, why don't you? Uh, but if you want to catch our weekly show, be sure to check out on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. Just hit the subscribe button on your preferred platform. If you want to be up to date with all the interviews, articles we write, and any of our upcoming shows, visit suplexbetweet.com. And don't forget to join our Facebook community page as well. So just find us on Facebook and feel free to join in the discussion on any wrestling-related topics or news stories coming throughout the week. So from myself, David Hockney, and from my guest, panelist, Scott McLeod, we say thank you, and we'll see you next week where we'll wrap up for the new year. Until then, see you next time.